name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, be with us tonight. May you be present to all of us, to our hearts and to our minds. Open our thoughts to be able to understand tonight what it means to be made in your image, that this may enrich our lives. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was the beginning, is now, and shall be, the world of Amen. St. Thomas Aquinas. Pray for us. Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so as we've been doing so far, just a quick little recap of now three three weeks. Um, so we are talking about human person getting to something flourishing or happiness, however you want to call it, and what's the path along the way to get there. So so far we've been looking at the human person. We've looked at human person. We've looked at human nature to try to understand what those things might be, and then. We are going to look today specifically at this human person being made uh, in this phrase, Imago Dei, in the image of God. Now, just to review, one of the things that we talked about is the fact that the human person has this thing that we call a spiritual soul. Now, we like to sometimes think about this as sort of a ghost in the machine, but we don't want to think about it that way because it's not that the soul and body are separate, it's that there's a substantial unity of the two, and it's the two together that make the human person. And we say it's a spiritual soul because we can understand something about how we know things. And it's not in simply in the concrete, but we have the ability to abstract. So our thoughts right, can transcend just the material. I think some of the examples I gave you last week is like the idea yellow. Right? You know what yellow is, whether it's a yellow ball or a yellow dress or a yellow sign. You know what yellow is, but there's no such thing on its own as yellow, but you can understand what that is. There's not a way to explain that um, and other things like it uh, in, in simply a material way in our neurons or synapses, right? We can talk about ideas. We can talk about justice. We can talk about truth. We know what those means. There's no concrete little material thing that can represent any of those things. And so our soul transcends just the material. Um, I heard a story of somebody just just last week of, um, you know, he woke up in the middle of the night and he had this idea. So he got up and he wrote it down on a piece of paper. And he ended up creating a device that's used in surgery that has probably saved the lives of 15 million people. Animals can't do that. Animal souls are material. And then we talk about plant souls too, right? It's material. It's that... It's just the matter, the, the material of their cells that actually makes them to be alive. But we have this spiritual soul. It's not just has to do with how we think about things, but it's also how we can will things, how we can choose things, right? You can love your enemies. You can forgive, right? An animal cannot love its enemies. It's not possible. It can't transcend how it interacts with things on a material level. Okay, and then we talked last time as well about the fact that there are these particular gifts as part of the part of the human person. We talked about natural, preternatural, and supernatural. Um, that sin loses the preternatural gifts for sure, uh, and then eventually we do get back the possibility for the supernatural gifts with Jesus coming uh, and providing us with sanctifying grace. All of the gifts that we receive are good. So although there's this thing called original sin, original sin doesn't make us essentially evil, right? It's not the Lutheran idea of, or Martin Luther's idea of, 
you're a dunghill, and then you get covered over with a little bit of snow, and that's what sanctifying grace is, or that's what grace is from God. No, we are made good. In fact, to talk about being made in the image of God, obviously we are made good, um, although we may lack some things, and evils and, and sin are examples of the lack of something. All right, so to move on to the idea of creation today, created in the image of God is actually the title of tonight's class. What does it mean to be created? Well, obviously it means there's two people involved, at least, right? A creator and a creature. That's the creator. There's the creature in this picture. And that there's a relationship between the two, right? God can say, I am God and you are not. We don't always believe that, right? We want to very often operate in a slightly <coughs> different way. St. Catherine of Siena says that God said it to her in a slightly different way, but he said, I am he who is and you are she who is not. She wouldn't be without him. And the difference we can think of, I, I think that sometimes we, we perhaps put ourselves a little bit too close to God. If you think about the difference between you and a rock, okay, the difference between you and a rock isn't close to the difference between God and you. Right? It's a tremendous difference here between creator and creature. Uh, we tend to put them a little bit too close. Um, but if you can think about how different from you, you are from a rock, then, then put God out there as creator. Now, um, we did talk about this question, why did God make you? And if you remember, I had a little bit of an argument about it. The answer from the Baltimore Catechism was God made you to know him, to love him, to serve him in this world, and be happy with him in the next. And I said, but you're supposed to be happy with him here, too. It's not just be happy with him in the next. Well, actually, today I'm going to argue with the first half a little bit. Right? To know him, to love him, and to serve him. God made you to know him, to love him, and to serve him. So it sounds from that answer almost as if God made you because he needed you. right? Because he needed you to love him and he needed you to serve him. Like some you know, little pawn down here on the earth. God needs us, so we've got to get put here and do those sorts of things. But, but that's not right. You know, God doesn't need you. He doesn't need anyone. He doesn't need anything. God is completely sufficient in himself. And so there really has to be some other reason as to why God made you. So I'm going to use a little bit of an analogy here, and I'm going to pick on a musician in the room um, and talk about this in terms of music. Maybe I won't tell you who the musician is, but anyway. Suppose you are a composer. Why do you compose something? Why do you compose a piece of music? Or why do you write a poem? Or why do you paint a painting? Well, some people like to think of it as perhaps expressing feelings. But if you want to take the analogy to God, it doesn't quite work as well, because God, God doesn't need to just express his feelings. Right? A composer doesn't actually need to compose something. And in the same way, God doesn't actually need to compose us. But why does he do it? I think you have to say it's because of who he is, right? I mean, the artist has art in them somehow. Um, the musician, there's a musician nodding, has music, music in her somehow. And somehow it just has to be that they have to take that from inside and put it to the outside. And I think that you have to think about, um, about God in that way, too, that Although he doesn't need anything, he doesn't have to create any one of you. It is who he is to do such a thing. 
Um, I think of one way of, of saying it is that God loves us into existence, and that musicians love their music into existence, and that artists love their paintings into existence. They will it. Loving is not just feeling good about something, but you, you want the good of the other thing. And so I think God wants us to be in the way that a musician wants us to be, wants, to, wants his music to be. Now, there's an interesting little piece at the beginning of the Summa Theologia by St. Thomas that talks about uh, some of the words I've thrown around already, like existence, you know, that things are, they, they, to be. And there's a part there that says that um, really to be, to exist, is to be good. Right? In fact, we hear this at the beginning of creation. Right? God creates this and this and this and this. And then what does he do? He sits back and he says, it's good. Right? Everything is good. So to be, to be created by God, in fact, means to be created by God as good. Now, Thomas, of course, in the Summa then has to ask a question about this, because he has to ask questions about everything. And he said, so why do we have these two different ideas? Right? Existence and goodness. Existence is the to be, but goodness is that the being is good. Why do we need two different words for it? Thomas has a beautiful answer. He says, goodness adds desirability to being. Now, it doesn't really add it as if it weren't there, but our understanding realizes that it's desirable. So when a composer composes a piece of music and then finishes and sits back and thinks about this piece of music that he or she has written, sometimes there's this sense of, wow, that's good. Now, I don't know if you know who our musician, one of our composers in the room is Bill back there. And Bill said this to me last week. At the end of class, we were talking about some things, and he said, you know, I've written some anthems, and he said, and a few of them are really good. Now, I bet they're all good to some extent, but then there are the few that are good. There is that sense when you have, it could be any of you, right? Maybe you've written a paper for a, for a, um, a, a class, or maybe you've done a performance as part of a play or a musical, or maybe you just had a great day on the soccer field, right? And you are able to sit back and say, wow, that was good. And it's not so much the good as in, hey, I'm good because I did a good job. It's the, somehow, that thing is amazing, and how did that happen? You really kind of wonder about it. And I think that's what we hear God say at the beginning of creation, right? He makes it all, and then he sits back and he says, it's good. And he doesn't just say that about creation, he actually says that about all of us as well. So God wants this, right? He wants creation to be, and he delights in it. And no less than God delights in all of creation, everything that he has made, there's a really special piece of God delighting in each one of us. Oh, there's the pediatrician. <laughs> right? God delights in each one of us. That's the way he sees us. We have a little bit of a hard time kind of understanding that. But I think if we really read scripture the way it's written, that is what we see. So why did God make me? Basically, God made me because he loves me, not because he needed me to love him. God makes me because he loves me, and he goes on loving me, and that's how I'm actually kept into existence. Without that love, I wouldn't continue to exist. 
Now, to emphasize this, I just want to add, too, that remember, your existence, therefore, from everything I've said, is in fact a gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't merit it. It's just absolutely given to you. And so, in the same way that we can rejoice over, you know, a beautiful sunset or whatever, and God rejoices in us, delights in us, um, we ought to delight in what we have been given by God um, as pure gift. And this is freely given to us. There really aren't any strings attached. Think about it again on a human level. Do we give gifts to those whom we hate? No. We give them to those we love. So God can't have given us this because he doesn't like us. It has to be because, in fact, he loves us. Now, this leads us really well, then, to uh, the first commandment. And we'll talk about law in a later talk. But uh, just to, just to kind of maybe bring this to mind a little bit, right? I am the Lord your God. You, have sh you shall have no other gods before you. Um, well, doesn't that just make sense at this point? I mean... Who else could we possibly have, or what else could we possibly have as, as a god, as someone that we would worship, other than the one who has, in fact, given us everything that we have? Right? The first commandment really is first, and everything else falls out from it. Okay, so, created in imago dei, in the image of God. Um, so let's talk for just a minute about this idea of image and how it plays out here. So obviously a painting can be an image. So an image is like a painting. And a painting can make something present to us. I was actually delightfully reminded that tomorrow is the feast day of Fra Angelico. Fra Angelico is a wonderful painter, but he's also a Dominican. So we celebrate him. You, if you go to Mass anywhere else in Nashville tomorrow, you will not celebrate the feast of Blessed John of Fiesoli, also known as Fra Angelico. But if you come to the Mother House, we will be celebrating the Feast of Blessed Fra Angelico. He is one of our brothers. Now, if you think about how Fra Angelico as a person could be present to us, he can be present to us in different ways. Okay, one way is, right, he could walk through that door and I could say, oh, look, Fra Angelico, <laughs> right? And he would be, in fact, if he's there, he is present to us. Um, there are other ways that we can actually use that phrase at times of, you know, that is Fra Angelico. You know, one way is actually through a painting. Now, this is not a painting by Fra Angelico. This is actually a painting by Raphael. And I don't know if you've ever seen him here, but there is Fra Angelico. Huh. Raphael painted Fra Angelico into this painting. Now, this is, the, this is the whole painting. So there's Fra Angelico way down there. This is the painting called The Disputation on the Eucharist. So Jesus in heaven, Father above. Um, so all of heaven is present to us. I think I showed you a picture earlier in this little series. There's Adam sitting right there next to King David. And down here we have the Eucharist on the altar and then all sorts of important people talking about it. And Fra Angelico way down there. So if you have a painting or a photo of somebody, somebody could give you a photo to look at on their phone, and you go, oh, hey, that's Fra Angelico, right? Because you see his face. And that's another way of having a kind of an image. But there is a third way that we see images of people. And that is not the person himself, and not necessarily a likeness of that person but something that the person has created. You look at this painting and you go, oh, that's Fra Angelico. Not because he's actually present in any one of these images in the painting, 
but because he painted it. And if you know Fra Angelico's work, you could look at this and go, oh yeah, I think that's Fra Angelico. All right, so he walks through the door, there's Fra Angelico. Or you have a picture of him painted by Raphael, you say that's Fra Angelico. Or you see something that Fra Angelico himself has created, and we say, oh, that's Fra Angelico. Right? We talk about the fact that you put yourself into your work. Right? You are actually there in the work that you create. And that's another way of having an image. Just for completeness sake, I did want to mention one other, one other thing. So Raphael actually painted Fra Angelico. I don't know that Michelangelo did, but Michelangelo is said to have said of Fra Angelico that he thought that Fra Angelico must have been allowed to go to heaven and then was given permission to paint anything that he saw there. Pretty high praise from Michelangelo, don't you think? All right, so if we think about this term in Imago Dei, right, that we are created in Imago Dei, what does it actually mean? Well, it doesn't mean that, you know, God, Father, Son, and Trinity is standing here and this is what he looks like. It's not that. And it's not that I'm some of a photograph of God, but it's somehow it's represented to us in this third way, that somehow within his work, we can see God. And I'm going to suggest to you that there's, there are many different ways that we can see this. And all of this is actually part of Revelation. So Old Testament, New Testament, all the way through, we see actually multiple ways in which God shows us that we are made in Imago Dei. So the first one I would say is simply as in all of creation, right? Everything that is created by God, just like every painting that is done by Fra Angelico, you can say, oh, that's Fra Angelico. Everything that is created by God in all of creation, of which we are part of that, you can say, oh, there is God. So simply as being part of creation, on some level, that is one way that we can say that we are created in Imago Dei. Now, for human beings, human persons, it's higher than that. So all the other ones are higher than that. The essential way that we typically think about this is that we do have this rational part of the rational powers of our soul, right? That we have an intellect and a will, that we can come to know things and we can come to choose the good. We can love things. Um, so this is sort of the essential thing that we always think about when we think about the fact that we are created in God's image. But there are other things as well that I would suggest that you can think about. The fact that God is a trinity, right, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, tells us something about ourselves. In fact, it says something about our social nature. By our very nature, we are social creatures. We are social beings. And God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, gives us that first example of community. Now, in the Old Testament, it's not actually revealed yet, although there's a hint at it, right? The way it's always translated in Genesis is, let us make man in our image, right? Let us make man in our image. Well, the us and the our is plural. So it's kind of hinting at the Trinity. But it's not till Jesus comes that we actually have the revelation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Trinity teaches us about our social nature. I think in addition... The relationships that, there are also the relationships that we see. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's not just that they're a community, but there's a relationship between Father and Son and Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. 
Um, and that's already given to us, actually, in Genesis 2, right? And we talked about this, I think, a little bit last week. Male and female, he created them, right? And he put them in relationship. They are to be helpmates to each other. So there is a relationship. And so it's not just that we're a bunch of this, you know, this, this whole mass of society or something, but we have different relationships with different persons within this community. Now, then there's the incarnation. You know, the incarnation is a, is a really amazing thing. And John Paul II talked about this a little bit. You know, the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, takes on a human nature, becomes like one of us, raises our nature to something that it was never before. I mean, who would have thought that God could come to earth and take on a human nature? and live among us, and walk among us, and eat like us, right? It's an amazing thing. And that's why, I mean, that's why there was all the opposition to Jesus, right? Right? This is blasphemy to say that God would stoop so low as to be, you know, like one of us, like one of, you know, of the, in, with a human nature. It didn't make any sense to people. But the truth is, it's the other way around. I mean, it is, I mean, you know, St. Paul does talk about, you know, Jesus, you know, God humbles himself to become like one of us. But the other thing is, ourselves are raised, right? We are raised in this incarnation. I think one of the ways that John Paul, I'm pretty sure it's John Paul, talks about that is the human race is given an incredible compliment by God, right? You are good enough for me to take on your nature. And so when you look at the person sitting next to you at the table where you are, right, what you are looking at is someone whose nature is good enough that God could take that on. And so we ought to see that person in that light. Now, I think there are some more things to think about, too, right, like baptism. I think I referred to this one last week, too, right? So in baptism, you're given back sanctifying grace, lost at the beginning of time. And so you have the indwelling of the Trinity amongst you. So again, if you're sitting next to a person who's been baptized and is in sanctifying grace, that's an incredible, I mean, what's sitting next to you? That's amazing. And sitting in your own soul as well. So again, if you're looking at a person who's in the state of sanctifying grace, has been baptized, that's another way in which they are an image of God. Now, I think you can carry this through a number of the different sacraments, right? So the Eucharist, right? If that person went to Mass this morning and received the Lord in Holy Communion and became the dwelling of, of the sacred body and blood of Jesus, you know, we say that we are actually taken into the Eucharist, not the Eucharist taken into us, right? It's a true transformation to receive the Lord. And so, you know, if you're at Mass on Sunday and everybody's just gone to communion and there you are, you know, kneeling in the pew, I mean, it's nice that you might know the name of the person sitting in front of you or the person behind you, but right there at that moment, I mean, God, not only present in you, but present in them as well. And so they are imaging God to you, or could be. So here are the parents, married parents, of St. Therese of Lisieux. Zelie and Louis. Louis, thank you, from France. <laughs> right, Zelie and Louis Martin. So married persons do also provide us in some way an image of God. 
because again relationship right because community i mean marriage family is the is the first part of human community and then so does somebody like their daughter right who is called to the consecrated life right one of the things that we're we're supposed to think about consecrated life because of what we take on as our vows is that we're supposed to think of ourselves as a big word as an eschatological sign what the heck is eschatological the eschaton is the end of time Right? So at the end of time in heaven, um, we will ultimately all live as religious are supposed to live, poor, obedient, and chaste, all for God, everything. And it's a beautiful, beautiful idea, and so it's an image. You know, sometimes it happens that, you know, we, we are walking around in an airport or something, and some little kid says, oh, look, there's God. Well, it's not, not perhaps the way the little kid is thinking about it, but it's supposed to bring God to mind. And finally, I don't uh, know, two others, passion and death, right? So when we suffer and when we die, um, even in our suffering, we can image God to other people because God did, right? Jesus, the Son of God, died, suffered and died for us. Not that we worship suffering by any means, but as Christians, we can see it in a different way that others can't see it, you know? And then finally, the resurrection. Again, going back to this phrase that God reveals not just himself in Revelation, but Jesus also reveals man to himself. What does Jesus say to us? That at the end of time, right, you, you have life after death here on earth, and ultimately your body and soul will be reunited. And so all of us here, we are hopefully going to get there to that wonderful resurrection where the body and soul will be together forever in heaven. Um, and, you know, look around at the people who are here. We hope to see all of them together in heaven. It's, it's kind of an amazing thing. I want to kind of just finish off with one of my little favorite sayings of uh, St. Catherine of Siena, because I think to think about this idea that we are made in the image of God created in the image of God, ought to inspire us to live on perhaps a little different level. Remember I told you at the beginning, or I told you a couple of times at my hope for this class, that it makes you think about things that are a little higher than what you see, or a lot higher than what you see on the evening news. So you should think about yourselves differently if you understand this idea of being created in the image of God. Um, I don't know how much you know about St. Catherine of Siena, but she was kind of this real, I mean, upstart woman who died at the age of 33, but before she got there, she, she did all sorts of stuff that, she, that, I mean, even women of our times, I mean, if there was some woman writing letters to politicians and governors and presidents and kings and bishops and popes telling them what they should be doing... <laughs> I, I mean, probably she would just be ignored, right? I mean, that's just crazy. But somehow she wasn't. And she, she, she had this wonderful vision of the world, of seeing the world through what God had created it to be. And this one phrase I think really captures it, and that is, if you are what you are meant to be, you will set the world on fire. If you are what you are meant to be, you put in there, created in the image of God, you will set the world on fire. Now, it's almost a bit ironic, but she actually wrote this in a letter 
to a politician of her day. So bottom line is, there is no such thing as a self-made man. We are created by God, and we couldn't make ourselves as well as he has made us, right? And we are made in his image and likeness. Homework. So, ante up, remember, raise the conversation around you, whether it's in family, colleagues at work, friends, people at school. Raise the conversation to something slightly higher. You know, you might say to somebody, so are you a self-made man or do you think you're created? You know? <laughs> and in whose image? You know? Sometimes, unfortunately, we try to create God in our image. We get the thing backwards. I just wanted to highlight from the Compendium of the Social Doctrine, number 105, the church sees in men and women, in every person, the living image of God himself. Do you really see that in everybody? So for number three, I've often been leaving you with something just in prayer. What I would suggest or ask you to try is, could you take five minutes in a very quiet place, no music playing, in a chapel would be a great place, for five minutes, think about or pray about, or just let God delight in you. Just like that little baby was being delighted in by his father in that picture. Can you just let God delight in you? I mean, you should be walking through life at every moment letting God delight in you. Because he does. <laughs>